Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to watch the shoddy shark movies so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined once again by Mark. Oh, hi Mark. Hello. Now, for new listeners, what we do here is that we take two to three films of a similar type or genre and we really pit them against each other, we run them down, we tell you what's what's bad and what's even worse than that and uh, at the end we decide which is the worst or the best depending on, on how you define that. Well, last episode that we did, uh, we compared all three of the films in the Sleepaway Camp trilogy. But today, uh, it is the end of the summer, so it's going to get sharky. We're reviewing The Meg, and we're reviewing The Last Sharknado, subtitle It's About Time. <laughs> so this week, it's not so much schlock tactics... It's Shark Tactics. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be doing for you this week. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to wait till the end of the summer to review these these two movies. I know Meg's been out a little while, and hopefully you've all seen it, since it's a pretty big film. Um, but also, it is the end of an era, the very last Sharknado, allegedly. So, first up, we are going to get stuck in to The Last Sharknado, a.k.a. Sharknado 6, subtitle, It's About Time. Do you see what they did there? Did, yeah. So, uh, I understand, Mark, the only other Sharknado film you'd seen is Sharknado The Fourth Awakens. Yeah. Which would be Sharknado 4 yeah. for listeners. When it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I do like to usually plunge you into Franz's uh, very arbitrary points. <laughs> like, I plunged you into Leprechaun at the fourth uh, series. But uh, you have seen one other Sharknado film. So, um, what, were you, what were you expecting from the very last Sharknado? And what were your sort of first impressions of this one to, to tie up what you'd already sort of seen? I was expecting non-stop ridiculousness. And that's exactly what I got. It was probably more extreme... I can't remember because it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but it seems like it was the most extreme one. Like, yeah. One of the earlier scenes in this film felt like it was wrapping the film up. <laughs> <laughs> More or less every scene. Yeah, yeah, it was really hard to predict when this film was actually going to end. <laughs> for for listeners that might not be familiar with the Sharknado films, I don't know how you found our, our podcast. So, yeah, this is the sixth one. It started off in 2013 with just a... You know, your, your typical run-of-the-mill sci-fi channel fair. They just think of something to do with a shark and they, and they you know, make it as ridiculous as possible. So that was really the first one was literally just a tornado full of sharks. Pre- pretty basic film. And as the franchise has gone on, they've become more and more ridiculous and they've also realised that's what people want. Yeah. That's what people like. So as you said, this was really like, was like the third act of a film. Yeah. It was... Climax, climax, wrapping up, resolution, but for like an hour and a half. Dialogue as cheesy as possible. Yeah. They know exactly what works with the franchise because you've had five films to get to this point. So so bear that in mind yeah. uh, when we talk about this this film. This is really them at their, their arc. So if you didn't get it from the title, this one does feature time travel. The central premise of the film is that they are sort of stuck in time. Now this was hinted at um, right at the very end of, uh, of Sharknado 5, uh, which was called Global Swarming. If anyone hasn't seen that film, spoiler alert, at the end, Finn Shepard's 10-year-old son reappears, played by Dolph Lundgren, um, and reveals that he's come from future. So that's our little, little time travel introduced right at the end of the last film. This film picks up straight where that left off. There's, there's a little bit of a, a 2001 reference at the beginning with uh, lots of planets and a big uh, sort of monolith, like a dinosaur-shaped monolith. And then loads of dinosaurs bust out and start <laughs> running everywhere. So it's usually, whenever they do a time jump here, it's pretty um, easy. They definitely highlight to you straight away yeah. 
where we are through various methods that we'll we'll talk about. But this one was pretty easy. Straight away, you just get bad CGI, and you're like, "Yep, this is Sharknado." <laughs> it's probably the best it's ever been. That's still not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll I'm sure we'll compare that to the the CGI in the, in the Meg, which is obviously sci- this is sci-fi channel capabilities. Yes, which they're they're more about. So yeah, we see uh, driving right out of this time warp uh, in his in his jeep. I was devastated straight away to learn that Dolph Lundgren was not going to be in this film. Yeah, <laughs> what a fucking cheap shot! Like they they teased it. They they sold me a lie. They told me at the end of the last Sharknado that Dolph Lundgren was now going to be in this film, and he wasn't. And I'm I'm still raging. There's probably some trivia about that on the internet somewhere that he just wouldn't do it or something. I or... can't I can't believe he's above it. But, <laughs> um He's definitely done all sorts of, of shit. It'd be a legitimate scheduling thing perhaps straight away we get a shark um versus a t-rex fight which is great why not a t-rex versus a meg yeah yeah they know what they're doing they knew when their film was coming out (laughs) they they could see they could see the way this was going gets uh nova here wearing like a weird skull helmet um she kills a t-rex with loads of knives we get this brief sort of time travel just briefly explaining that um, all the characters that previously were killed off in films are now alive again for some reason. We have to go back. This is some sort of of time travel afterlife and that reminds reminds me of a certain favourite TV show of mine that I I won't (laughs) spoil for anyone. That's basically your your brief explanation to to tell you that basically every and any character you've ever seen in this film is going to be appearing so yeah we we get there of course the sharknado starting to appear off the off the coast and uh, the meteorite shower starts he loads up a meg with loads of sort of meteorites and throws it into the sharknado there's some some brief uh, explanation here of how if they want to travel forward in time they have to be going at a particular velocity and they have this little walkie-talkie thing that lets them you know like back to the future Basically, this film is Back to the Future, Quantum Leap, and Lost, yeah. all, all mixed up together. It's <laughs> it's the idea of you must travel, you must leap from time to time to time to to get back to where you need to to get to. So that's yeah. that's the easiest way of explaining it. It's time NATO, and then suddenly they're they're catapulted forward quite far, quite a leap into medieval times, <laughs> and there's uh, someone trying to take a sword out of a stone. Not only in medieval times, but in mythical times, yeah. even. We're, we're introduced here to, I, I think, maybe the the best character and the best performance in the whole film is this sort of evil, uh, sort of witch-type character uh, called the Magnificent Organa. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's played <laughs> by a drag queen called Alaska Thunderfuck. <laughs> now, I'm not familiar with, with her work. I don't know if she appeared on uh, maybe RuPaul's Drag Race, but um, in this in this film, she was fantastic. She understood the uh, necessary level of camp that this film deserves and, and needs so desperately. Every one of her lines was like something funny, like yeah. something ridiculous. Something noteworthy. Yeah, even just stuff like she threw, like, killed a shark out of the air and just goes, nailed it. Yeah. Like, she was amazing. She should have been in a much better film than this. But I'd like to see more more from her. We, we do have a character here called Brian, which I didn't really remember, but I think was in the second Sharknado, maybe? Ordinarily, he's a kind of fat white guy with a beard, but then when they leap to medieval times, he transforms into a middle-aged black woman. And there's no reason for this. <laughs> it's never explained. Other than um, 
unpredictability of time travel. Yeah. You never know. You might change gender and race <laughs> um, by moving forward you know, a million years in, in time. Just setting your expectations for the rest of the film. Like, yeah. what crazy things could happen when you travel through time? It wasn't the weirdest thing that happened in this film, but <laughs> no. at this point it was. Yeah. Um, but it was something they glossed over. Just going, oh, it happens. You, back in this sort of medieval castle, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, famous scientist, is here playing Merlin all along the way here Finn has been carrying April's head in a bag which probably is really confusing to anyone who hasn't seen the previous film <laughs> but uh, along the way April uh, aka Tara Reed's character becomes more and more robotic not just her acting style but the character mm-hmm. becomes more and more cyborg and then her head is somehow severed in Sharknado 5 I don't even remember how that happened <laughs> But it comes through time, so he's now carrying her head in a bag, and uh, she's there to basically advise and sometimes shoot lasers out of her eyes. So a massive medieval battle ensues with all of the tornadoes uh, around the castle here falling on them. They're able to get themselves uh, into a trebuchet and be catapulted into the air, and then Neil deGrasse Tyson appears on a pterodactyl (laughs) and twats this medieval bucket with its tail and that gives them the necessary velocity <laughs> yeah I forgot to mention that Tara Reed entered on a pterodactyl earlier on that's probably quite a salient point there are two Tara Reeds this is really confusing Taradactyl. yeah uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> the pterodactyl is called Tara but th- there's a Tara Reed and then there's a Tara Reed head in a bag I don't know why I've already I've already knows what's going on in this film I've already made this film too complicated but <laughs> so have they so Revolutionary America to the strains of Come Out and Play by The Offspring. Yeah, that was right. And it took us about two and a half minutes to realise that two of the characters here were played by The Offspring <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they were a captain and a first mate on a ship with um, the telescopes. Is it Dexter and Noodles? It was yeah. Dexter and Noodles and like a lot of Sharknado cameos. The people aren't quite recognisable or famous enough so they have to say something that relates to the thing that they're famous for. <laughs> yeah. Hence they go, okay, come out and play. Yeah. Which was the song that was playing. Yeah. I think everyone remembers Dexter Holland's cameo in Idle Hands where he gets um, scalped by a disembodied hand. (laughs) If you remember that, get in touch with us. (laughs) They find General Washington and um, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, There's all sorts of um, gags here about uh, Hamilton, the musical, which I really don't know anything about. But if you do, you maybe found this hilarious. They convinced General Washington to let them use the cannons to fend off the uh, later Sharknado in Revolutionary America because they say if if this Sharknado happens, it will interfere the American Revolution, which means the worst possible thing for these characters, there will be no USA. <laughs> the USA will be deleted. There's a w- really weird subplot all throughout this film where Nova sees this uh, time travel mechanism as a way to prevent her grandfather dying when she was a kid, which is like the worst thing that ever happened to her. Her grandfather was killed by a shark, which is something I do remember from the Sharknado film. She becomes such a badass um, shark hunter because she hates sharks. Her grandfather was killed by a shark. It's it's actually quite a a decent, uh, if typical, backstory for for the character but the strange notion that what she meets her great 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 however many greats grandfather in the late 18th century so she has the idea that she'll give him a letter to be passed down 
for would have to be what seven or eight generations however many to get to the 90s where her grandfather would then read this letter and not go fishing so then not be killed by a shark this is really dumb the idea that you would pass on this note that this woman gave you in the 18th century for like the next 180 years which presumably just says go fishing on this day was ludicrous, but they would they would almost make it work later on. But that, that's a subplot for you all to be aware of. Uh, Finn stops her. He says, "You can't interfere with time travel with history," which is obviously a common theme in any travel film. Which they will all interfere with history in various ways. They already have yeah. interfered with with history way more than they should have if we, if we had to, to believe the rules of quantum leap and Bill and Ted and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Brian chooses to stay. In the, uh, the in the revolutionary America, who's now he's now turned back into a, a white guy with a beard who carries around an oversized baseball bat. I'm not sure why, but he's a history teacher, so he wants to stay and he wants to live history because he's a history teacher. He bangs on about being a history teacher. Mm. <laughs> he mentions it well, probably three or four times at least. He's only going to experience like another forty years of history, yeah. maybe even less, if we assume that he can live to what we would consider a normal age to mm. die. I, I think he's gone all in there and he might regret that. And Benjamin Franklin um, uses his famous kite, which um, attracts lightning and, and blasts them off uh, again through the time warp. And they end up in the Wild West. The Wild West where Dee Snyder is the sheriff. And he's, uh, he's involved in a duel with Billy the Kid. That's amazing. Uh, Vivica Fox finally makes her return to the franchise, uh, playing the character called Sky. So she was last seen in Sharknado 2, if I remember rightly, being electrocuted in the top of a skyscraper. And she gets killed quite early on in Kill Bill Volume 1. That's what I recognised her from. She's done... Yeah, she's actually... If you look at the look at the credentials of all the cast of this film, she's done one of the better films, if you consider Kill Bill. But she's back here as Sky, and she gets some, some funny lines... She describes herself as a, quote, chocolate blast from the past. <laughs> Awkward. We also discover Gil, not Dolph Lundgren. Who did they get instead of Dolph Lundgren? They got the guy that played Sherman in American Pie. <laughs> I can only assume his friends with Tara Reid from that film, and that's how he got into yeah. this film. There's, got, there's no other way. I must have found out at the last minute that Dolph Lundgren was there, and they're like, who can we get? And she was like, well, I've got a mate. <laughs> I've got this guy who's been pestering me for five years to be in a Sharknado. Not that anyone would remember him. This is the mark of the Sharknado cameos. They are people that are so allegedly famous that you have to instantly go on IMDb and find out who they are. So I often focus more on American Z-list celebrities. <laughs> who I'm even less familiar with than, than British Z-list celebrities. But there he was, the Shermanator. We get more of Tara Reid's severed robot head shooting lasers out of her eyes. It's always enjoyable. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> they managed to defeat this Sharknado. You can see a pattern here. And they get blasted into, well, this is quite a jump again, into the 1950s. People were um, dancing to surf rock. So that's how you knew it was the 50s. And the guy called it Shark and Roll Nado. I was yeah. like, that's a bit of a tenuous link. <laughs> it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, after telling Nova not to go interfering with her grandpa, he goes over and hangs out parents in the 50s, <laughs> convinces them to lend him their giant laser cannon. How they have that, I d I'm not sure. Straight out of, you know... Plan 9 or something, they have this um, this 50s sci-fi laser cannon which they're going to use. Obviously his dad Sharknado 4 is played by David Hasselhoff but sadly the Hoff 
along with Dolph Lundgren, maybe they were doing something together. Uh, yeah. Neither of them were going to were going to be involved in this. Very surprised David Hasselhoff was busy. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he agrees to let his his son. His, well, I mean, didn't know he was his son, but uh, let his son use the Cadillac, the, the classic fifties Cadillac. And the, the idea is that they're going to fast forward now to 2013, the time when the first Sharknado happened, and prevent the whole franchise from happening. So we end up fast forwarding. But it's not to 2013, and the reason that we know this is that two teenage girls walk past the camera. <laughs> she just very quickly goes, are you going to the Spice Girls concert, or are you going to watch Titanic for the 10th time? Yeah. <laughs> very quickly places it in 1997. I mean, I, I knew straight away it was 1997. A lot, I don't think a lot of people would. Obviously, people younger than us might not know yeah. that those things were popular in 97. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were counting on their audience being roughly our age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you going to go to see the Spice Girls? Or are you going to go and see Titanic? The two two options in 1997. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we discover that obviously Nova has interfered with the uh, the calibrations in order to go back to 1997 because this is when her grandpa gets killed by a shark. So she is interfering with time. I think what makes this worse is that she actually goes back and finds herself as a child. Now, if we know anything from time travel films that's quite dangerous to go back and find yourself yeah and meet yourself indeed all all sorts of paradoxes and things can can collapse on you but um loopholes this film obviously wasn't going to get that complicated but um it did warn us it warned us about interfering with time and and (laughs) history because it can it can go bad so remember we talked about the uh the letter ancestor must have picked this up and glued it back together because it was a frame on the boat yeah and I, I, I thought this was shockingly clever for for this franchise. <laughs> Her grandfather says, "Yeah, it's an old family heirloom. You know, it's been handed down through the generations. So I put it on the on the wall of this boat just in case." I couldn't actually read what it said um, in the letter, but I imagined something along the lines of, "I am from the future. Don't go fishing in 1997. <laughs> go seize the Spice Girls or Titanic instead." And it also reveals that the reason why he nicknamed her Nova is because the letter was signed by Nova, so she named herself. Uh, she ends up steering uh, her grandpa's boat into a uh, sort of into rocks and crashing it, and realizes this is what kills my grandpa. <laughs> I'm the one that caused the crash that killed my grandpa. And, I started to try and figure this out, but I thought there's no point. We're just going to move on in a minute anyway, so let's not overthink this. She she gives her uh, Inigo Montoya speech. I am Nova. You killed my grandpa. Prepare to die, <laughs> uh, which is funny. Again, aimed at people our age. They end up being able to sort of uh, catch a shark on a fishing rod and kind of um, hang on to it so that the shark pels them into the future it must have been a really fast shark uh, jumping the shark if you like as this franchise has done repeatedly annually and they end up going into the future but it's not 2013 it's 20,013 <laughs> the 18,000 year leap was more than I was expecting the leap to be you know I, I'll give them um, props because usually when films have a dystopian setting they, they only usually go about 15 or 20 years ahead yeah uh, Blade Runner, Escape from New York. Terminator, t- yeah, t- t- typically t- 15, 20, 30. Sharknado wasn't going to take any chances. They were going 18,000 years into the future. <laughs> so all the buildings are sort of broken apart and it's very quiet. We see that the sharks have now taken over the planet. Uh, they are robo sharks, mecha sharks, of course, sort of silvery floating things. 
Uh, and then we start to see people with guns approaching in sort of silvery clothes. And we're like, oh no, there are humans left. There are some humans left. And it's the most terrifying future you can possibly imagine. <laughs> A planet populated entirely by Aprils. What is it, Mark? Planet of the Aprils. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's one of the best lines it in the mu- film. It must be the best pun in this film. It's <laughs> fucking brilliant. Um, you know, I really think they're starting to get the hang of this by the sixth film. <laughs> planet of the Aprils. Can you imagine a more terrifying future than a, a planet populated by Tara Reed And Tara Reed only. Uh, or robotic clones of Tara Reed. Yeah. Can you imagine a tony-faced, expressionless, emotionless Tara Reed? I don't think it gets any more terrifying than that. <laughs> All these uh, clone Aprils are ruled by uh, Queen April, who has a sort of pointy uh, Statue of Liberty hat. Um, original April is in like a perspex coffin, sleeping beauty, and she's being kept for mm. some reason. Various Tara Reeds start fighting with other Tara Reeds. <laughs> a chainsaw is out again. Uh, Sky <laughs> gets frozen in carbonite just just, just when you thought they'd run out of Star Wars jokes. <laughs> Queen April explodes, and this finally propels them back to 2013. And what I really like here is that you get the first, the opening couple of shots of the first film in perfect continuity go to the armory on the boat and they get like grenade launchers and chainsaws and like m16s and stuff and they just start gunning down the sharknado one of them's got like a tommy gun or something yeah cool i I think this this last sequence here really um epitomizes sharknado in all its insanity because we go inside the sharknado (laughs) and we get this sort of this incredible history montage. <laughs> it's tough to explain. Um, Figures from history just flying around, like Hitler and yeah, um, like Muhammad Ali, yeah. Confucius, yeah, <laughs> all sorts of people. And we even get some cameos here. Like Confucius is played by James Hong <laughs> uh, from Big Trouble in Little China, and one of the boxers is played by Shad Gaspard, who is an ex wrestler. So yes, every single Sharknado film does have a wrestler in it, <laughs> even if you have to to dive into a historical Sharknado. Amelia Earhart, Caesar, Viking King, Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, Marie Antoinette, Confucius, Cleopatra. Yeah, insanity. Basically, (laughs) imagine if your only uh, exposure to history had been watching this little montage. Yeah. This is the way to teach the world about uh, the history of civilization. Quickly, inside of a Sharknado. This was very potted. (laughs) Um, This this is Sharknado when Sharknado is, is getting it right. And firing on all cylinders, and I, I've all, all the that. while there's like Finn getting hit in the in the head by a sink, and yes, lots of action going on. <laughs> well, because because Queen Robot April has come back from the future, and she is now flying a robot shark, so her head's like sticking out of the mouth. Robo Tara Reed head that we've known throughout the film is also stuck in the mouth of a regular shark. So these two uh, sharks with two versions of Tara Reed inside the sharks fighting each other in midair, mm. which is insane. They eventually decide to do what I thought they would do all along, and that's detonate Robo April's head. And she says, ready to blow my mind? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because she's gone on about all along how she's got a nuclear core inside her. And I thought, well, obviously, 
she may as well detonate because really if the first Sharknado never happens then she never becomes a robot anyway so it's surely she's perfectly expendable so that's what they do and we end up right back in the bar the bar from the first film uh, this was as close as it gets to uh, an emotionally touching scene here mm-hmm. for anyone that's followed the, the, the franchise we get all the old favourites we, we get all the old characters from the whole franchise Mark McGrath the guy from Sugar Ray that was in the second film Gary Busey who played um, April's dad in the fourth film I believe and we even get really quite sadly we get um, footage of John Hurd aka Kevin's dad from Home Alone we get um, footage of him cut in from the first film because he he uh, died last year so we get that as well and we even get the old the old weatherman uh, Al Roker who has appeared I think in every Sharknado film as well telling us that um, it was going to be a lovely day yeah no, no bad weather no clouds, around. Nothing. Oh, and also Sky is running for president. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, just, they're just watching that on the TV. Yeah, and that's it. They, um, they, just, they all live happily ever after. So everyone that's ever died is now not dead. It's, it feels like the the right way to wrap up the franchise since it's not too ridiculous to really control anyway. Yeah, I felt like they they fought ridiculousness with more ridiculousness and I'm quite impressed they managed to wrap up the whole six film arc in an almost a satisfying way I was quite quite pleased with how they managed to, to wrap it all up what were your uh, overall impressions of The Last Sharknado I really enjoyed it I thought it was absolutely ridiculous good fun like you would expect from this type of film I feel like my impression is going to be slightly different to yours because this is only the second one I've seen so I don't have the whole package you've probably you've seen it from start to finish but yeah hilarious ridiculous entertaining does it make you want to go back and watch the ones you, you missed yeah i do want to yeah. do want to watch the other ones especially the first one i kind of feel like i need to see the original like surely well you're sort of one twelfth of the way there yeah it's in the first like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah i think i think this is good whether you've followed the, the sharknado films or not like i say the the first couple of sharknado films were so shit they were good and they gradually got both more shit and ridiculous but also a little bit more ambitious every time as well so yeah yeah, we're going to put in all these bad puns and these references to other films that are obviously much better and yeah we have Z-list cameos but that kind of became its thing over time and and it was something that actually no other film really blend this uh, all these all these elements together no other film would probably want to uh, or be able to so I yeah I've, I feel like this was a great way to wrap up the whole franchise what started as a, a ridiculous dumb idea dumber and dumber and, <laughs> but bigger and bigger and when as insane as possible yeah what they what they did they did well they knew what their niche was um they were playing with this tiny sort of budget you know TV CGI. Um, and after a while you don't even question it it's just like well this is just what these films look like it doesn't look like a real shark but you I wouldn't expect it to you know leaping from time frame to time frame I was always wondering where we're going to go next yeah who's going to be a really shit cameo that I'm going to have to look up on my just, phone you know? it's just non-stop they didn't need didn't to, they? and that's why the first couple of Sharknado films aren't as good because they they did attempt a little bit of, of sort of traditional plot and character development but after a while, they abandoned it and said, "Look, we're going to stick with Finn and and and, and April and much and Nova, and this is going to be our core characters that people know now from the first couple of films. Yeah, and we're just going to go mental and and have all these different types of, of tornadoes and stuff. So have as much fun as possible. Yeah, and this was this was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the end of an era. Uh, it was time to end it. I don't want them to do any more. 
but this is a, a great way to go out for the Sharnado films. And yeah, I would. Uh, well, if anyone's listening to this show, they, they probably like the Sharnado films already. But if you haven't, yeah, check them all out. They're all they're all pretty good fun. So that was the last Sharknado. It's about time. And next, we're going to move on to talk about the Meg. A couple of weeks ago, me and Mark we went on a uh, a top secret field trip uh, out to the cinema to see the Meg on the big screen in 3D. Yeah, uh, as probably as many of you did as well. We we saw this in 3D, which I uh, usually begrudge because uh, <laughs> it costs a fortune, but. Um, this is exactly the type of film you do want to see in 3D, I think, if, if you are being forced into it, which I am. Showcase. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we went to see The Meg, which, of course, is the big monster movie for this year. Certainly the biggest shark movie that's come along in the last couple of years. It is based on the, the novel from all the way back in 1997 called uh, Meg, A Novel of Deep Terror, uh, which is a really popular book from the late 90s. So ever since then... 20 years have now passed, and uh, they've finally been able to uh, to make a film out of this book. For a long time, Eli Roth was uh, attached to direct, which is when I had the most trust in it. <laughs> but then when Eli Roth dropped out and Jason Statham dropped in, my interest levels dropped out as well. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what uh, could have been, I'm sure, with Eli Roth, a sort of a suspenseful horror thriller... Uh, clearly, with Statham on board, was was not going to be that. So, probably weren't weren't looking forward to, to, to this as as uh, as I was here. I didn't weren't expecting this film. What were your uh, impressions of, of the Megan when you heard there was going to be a, an enormous shark film here? Pretty much what I expected. Very generic, thin on plot. Yeah, but also ridiculous and full on because you would expect that from any film that has Jason Statham in it. He's the indicator, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a good thing because yeah. like when I heard Eli Roth I thought, oh, this is gonna be good. And when I heard Jason Statham I thought, this is gonna be shit, but I still wanna see it. <laughs> like definitely a Jason Statham versus a shark. It's it's a very different type of film but still one that's gonna have a lot of a lot of probably to a lot more people. Mm. Uh Eli I'm mean, shortly Eli Roth would have made it much much gorier and um people may be may be aware that um this film was meant to be r-rated and the director cut all those scenes at the last minute um in order to get a pg-13 rating and jason statham himself has actually said he wasn't really happy about that um he he signed on for a bit more of a of a graphic and and gory film so Mm. it's this weird kind of contrast between the film with eli roth attached and the film with jason statham attached but it sounds like they both wanted a gorier film than, than we ended up getting but uh feel like they um because of the budget was so huge i think they felt like we don't want to limit our audience yeah. too much. Yeah. i mean this this film is a blockbuster and it's here to make money and uh, uh when last we checked uh, this film had grossed uh, around 467 million dollars worldwide which is a fucking lot of money <laughs> um so yeah we we can see now what kind of film this is, this was meant to be and and obviously it's been successful but the film uh, it does open with a flashback sequence showing uh, Jason Statham uh, rescuing uh, some of his fellow um, crew and sailors. He's like, what is it, like a Marine or a Navy SEAL or something, like an underwater explorer type yeah. type character. They're down in the Mariana Trench, which was, uh, which is where a lot of this film um, is, is set, the deepest place on Earth. So he's faced with this tough dilemma where he's only going to save a couple of his crew and they're going to resent him because he let plenty, you know, plenty of other people die. Kind of reminds me of the opening of, of Cliffhanger where Sylvester Stallone has to drop a woman 
off a mountain in order to save someone else. Yeah. yeah. Don't you drop her, Gabe! <laughs> Later on, he's discharged under what is quoted as being a pressure-induced psychosis. <laughs> so that's what made him make this terrible decision. Five years later, we are introduced to this underwater research facility called Manor One. And this is the first of many similarities to the film Deep Blue Sea. Um, but this is an underwater research facility looking into sharks and deep sea uh, things. One of our main uh, leads here is Chinese uh, actor called Su Yin. She's the head biologist. And um, we're also introduced to the guy who owned the whole place, Jack Morris, billionaire. Played by Rain Wilson. He was uh, in the American office. He was Dwight in the American office. Yeah. Many people will know him from, from that. Uh, funny guy, certainly in in, uh, in the office, and he, he tries his best here as well. But yeah, the idea is that he's uh, he's funded this whole um, underwater research facility into the Mariana Trench to find out what's really down there, you know, like a certain James Cameron <laughs> yeah. um, would do as well. So I'm, I wonder what he thought of this film. We, stri- we, we get a, a great introductory scene, really, where... Um, People are going down in a little, uh, a smaller sort of craft down into the Mariana Trench. And um, I was really impressed straight away, not only by the special effects and the CGI here, but it was really great in 3D. Like we were we were floating through the deep sea and there were jellyfishes coming at you yeah. and fish. This is a really expensive film. This is really worth watching in 3D. I haven't watched a 3D film for a few years, but it was worth paying for, I'd yeah. say. Like, yeah. It worked really well. And this film I, I had a budget of around 130 million, mm. um, which shows I think the CGI here is brilliant. I don't know who, who did it, but um, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's really convincing CGI, um, especially compared to Sharknado, of course. You know, but it even even holds up with you know the real big hitters like Planet of the Apes and Peter Jackson uh, films in recent memory. It's really really top quality special effects so I can't I can't knock the Meg for that it looks fantastic and it looked fantastic on the big screen as well um, so the little um, underwater sub comprises of of course jo- Jonas's ex-wife it's Jason Statham's ex-wife Japanese character who I think was in Heroes and uh, a big sort of beardy Norwegian guy says so typical sort of um, multinational research crew and they get attacked by something massive in the Mariana Trench. Meanwhile, Mac and Su Yin's dad go to find Jonas, who is exactly as you expect. He's lying down on a beach in Thailand with like a straw hat over his face <laughs> and a cocktail in one mouth. It's real. The most cliche kind of uh, like action Thai hero. Scene. Yeah. yeah. It's like action hero that's. You know, he's retired from the force or he's <laughs> retired from the army and he just gets drunk on the beach. It's mm. so, so cliched. He had this whole scene where, you know, they go into his apartment and he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell me to do this. I'm going to say no. You're going to have a drink with me. I'm going to say no. You're going to tell me I've got to rescue someone. I'm going to still going to say no. <laughs> and then they tell him what's happened and he's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Very easily persuaded because, of course... My ex-wife is down there, yeah. so he's got to he's got to save her really, really quickly. That we we get Jason Statham to Manor One. We get him suited up. We get him uh, his physical from the doctor who was responsible for discharging him for pressure-induced psychosis. So there's a bit of um, tension there, certainly. We're also introduced to uh, Su Yin's uh, young daughter, and he has a bit of bit of back and forth with her. We get our, our final reveal 
of the Meg when uh, when Su Yin is down there. She's looking for the for the stranded submarine and she gets attacked by a giant squid initially mm-hmm. and sucks onto it. Her um, clambers are out of the whole ship. Yeah, just encloses it, and you think that's bad. Then the Meg comes <laughs> flying over the top, and what's quite difficult in this film is obviously it's a massive shark. We know that it's massive, and the, the posters are quite good at, at getting that point across, but when it's underwater, everything looks as big as everything else, pretty much. You're only as big as the, the fish or the rock next to it, <laughs> and if you're in like the middle of the ocean, there are no rocks or, or things, so we, we have to imagine that this submarine is quite big this giant squid is quite big so therefore the Meg must be really fucking big so our first reveal I don't think does a great job of getting the, the scale across but uh, no pun intended but um, <laughs> but we do we do see the Meg and, and of course Su Yin has, has got more than she bargained for here gone down to try and rescue them so Jason Statham hops in his um, his submersible and he goes down to rescue his ex-wife uh, sadly Toshi the Japanese character dies yeah. Uh, because there's just no time to rescue all three of them. Uh-huh. There's only time to rescue two of them. Otherwise, they'll all die. Mirroring, obviously, the dilemma from the beginning of the film. But yeah. um, Jonas doesn't have to, to make the call. Toshio makes the call and he, uh, he essentially commits suicide. And that's the end of poor, poor Toshio. We get back to Manor 1. This is where we get all of our exposition. They realise that uh, the Mariana Trench actually was not the deepest part of Earth. You can go under it. You can go under it. There's a <laughs> there's a very thin film of fog that they never noticed before, and you, that's actually you go under that, and then you're in the lower part. Is it like hydrogen or nitrogen or something? Yeah, it was like a coming, but it was a thin sort of layer of some gas or something that they it didn't really make sense. Like if it's the seabed, it's the seabed. Like yeah. we sent things down there. We know that's the bottom <laughs> of the earth. Like you can't tell me. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, them coming back up from there opened up a gateway for Meg to follow them up. It, it's what um, Jack refers to as a thermal superhighway. It means the Meg is, has been released. Well, one of the more memorable scenes from the film and, and from the um, the marketing and the, and the trailers certainly is the um, the scene with the little the little girl, Suyin's little daughter, is just um, skipping through one of the um, see-through tunnels and she stops and looks out of the tube. And then you see the full uh, silhouette and shape of the Meg coming out oh, of the yeah. shadows, and that that's cool. that's when you get the real sense of how big the, the Meg is. And I yeah. think that maybe should have been the the reveal itself. It comes directly at the screen and like puts its teeth onto the glass. Yeah, that was actually that looked really cool in the cinema. That that was one of, one of the high points of the film. Yeah, <laughs> was this put you in mind obviously of Jaws and stuff like that, where the sense you got you know a real sense of scale, this huge creature, and yeah, it. Bit the presumably unbreakable plexiglass tube. Yeah, it bit it, and obviously everyone in the cinema went, oh! <laughs> and um, it left teeth marks on yeah. the glass, which showed how large its jaws were. Mm. That was excellent, actually. That yeah. that belonged in a, in a better movie. <laughs> um, straight away, of course, little girl highlights this to everyone. Uh, you know, I think there's a there's something out there, <laughs> and um, there's a big fish out there. They uh, they come through and obviously have a look at it and go, "Yep, yeah, that's definitely a meg." So they need to obviously think of a way to deal with this thing. If it makes it to the coastal areas, it's there's going to be mayhem, mm. and um, they all get on a boat and go out into the uh, the open water. They get this uh, pretty cool looking shark cage, which is um, just this sort of plastic fiberglass cylinder mm. with like neon lights on it as well so you can sort of you can be inside and still see perfectly 360 degrees and the idea is that someone will go in that cage and have um, a, a lethal 
sort of poison uh, that they're going to stick into the shark and inject it, and then that'll be game over, which obviously seems a bit too easy, <laughs> so, you know, considering we're not that far in. This is quite a cool, uh, cool extended scene. It, it takes time, but there's all sorts of um, debating on the boat about who's going to go and who's not going to go. And Jason Statham wants to go, but Su Yen says she's going to go. And there's this... Uh, I know blockbusters always have to shoehorn in a, a romantic subplot, but Jason Statham and this Su Yin character had some of the least romantic chemistry that I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so forced. Jason Statham had more chemistry with the shark than he did with this woman. Like, it was just... Like, they were from... He definitely that. got more sexual with the shark. <laughs> <laughs> he got more boners. Um, and it's like, there's even this really... Um, there's this awkward scene, isn't there, where... Um, she goes into his um, quarters and he's just wearing a towel, which I think I, I think he's this like <laughs> staring at him. I think he wrote this into his contract that he wanted to get his top off because you know he's he's in his forties now and he <laughs> wants to show that he's still sculpted. So he's just standing there like glistening from the shower, and she walks in and and then looks up and goes, "Oh God!" puts her hands over her eyes and like, "Oh no, oh my!" and oh my God! This and then is... when she leaves, she's like still peeping back through the little circular window, and someone catches her, and she's like, "Oh." oh. You know, for a second, you almost thought like, oh, there's a character here. One of the main characters here is a woman and she's actually like the head scientist and she knows the most about sharks and she's like the most important character. And then she just ogles Jason (laughs) Statham's moist torso. (laughs) Two steps forward, one steps back, I I think, with this. But um, yeah, just any kind of interaction between these is so awkward, like little jokes about who's going to get the shark and who's not. Mm. When he says shark, he really means dick. <laughs> I think we know. Just like in Jaws, the shark represents the affair that he had, you know. Yeah, the phallic it's, symbol. Uh, yeah, it's it's out there. Sexual tension through sharks. But yeah, we get this extended, really cool action scene with the, the, the Meg circling their boat and then the, the, the plastic cylinder goes in the water and they, they tow it on a line and the Megalodon chases it. Some really cool shots here. Uh, again, great effects. And eventually, yeah, she gets the... Uh, the lance into the mouth of the shark. It's dead. Poisoned it. They winch, it. they winch it up, hang it over the boat, film over. Except it's not, because this is like 30 minutes into the film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is, the, this is the main thing I don't understand. What happens next is that another megalodon jumps out of the water. It's roughly twice the size, maybe a little more than twice the size of the one that's already come up. It comes out of the water and eats the other one. Yeah. And now this is the Megalodon that they're going to be dealing with. What was the point? Why did you need a second one? There's no it. need at all. Other we, than, we knew it wasn't going to be the end of the film. It was half an hour we in. We weren't fooling anyone. Nobody <laughs> thought... Like, I thought it was more likely that the shark would just come back to life. Yeah. But they went an even more convoluted route of having another Meg. Mm. Where's the logic here? Why is there two? <laughs> Isn't it meant to be an almost thought-extinct animal? Like It's not the Megs. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it well, is. It will but... be next film. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. So this is just totally arbitrary, the need to have two of these things, and to have second one really only marginally bigger than the first one. What the hell is the point? Mm. The first one was impressive enough. Just to have that do more, come up with more for that. Like yeah. It just seems like they were running out of ideas half an hour in, which is not a, not a good sign. <laughs> there you go. The Meg is not dead. There's a new Meg, and it's a little bit bigger. Uh, all the way through this film, by the way, there is... Um, 
there is a black character. Uh, they're constantly teasing all through the film that's going to get the um, the Samuel L. Jackson treatment from from Deep Blue Sea, aka get eaten, <laughs> um, having an obnoxious monologue in a wide shot, and they yeah. tease this repeatedly. He's on the boat, just saying like saying the most pointless dialogue. Hey, there's a shark over there. There's a shark. Who's a big shark? Who are you trying to tell me is a big shark? It's just, this dialogue is nothing. There's no. So they're just only, saying, I thought they're only, the he's just saying words yeah. repeatedly. Hey man, how are you going to tell me this shark? I know this shark. The dialogue was so meaningless and vapid <laughs> that I thought, well, he must be gonna, he, he must be about to be eaten, and it just never happened. That's like there's no payoff here. And a strange twist: a token black character makes it all the way through the film, doesn't get eaten, really only comes into mild peril. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe he'll be in the sequel. So there you go. It's half an hour in. We reset the film, essentially, with a slightly bigger mech. They all go back to the um, station, and Jack Morris, the billionaire, says, okay, look, right, this isn't our responsibility. I tell you what, I've, I've called all the authorities in China, Australia. They're going to call in, you know, the big guns, the, the military, the National Guard. They're, they're all going to sort it out. You know, the, you guys shouldn't have to do this. I'm sorry. I've put you in enough danger already. And they're like, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, thanks for that. Bullshit. He never did any of that stuff. <laughs> he just wants to cover it up um, so that um, so that he doesn't get any um, lawsuits uh, from yeah. people who've been eaten by the Meg that he unleashed into the world. So he takes a very small squad of sort of marines out in a dinghy and they end up blowing up a whale. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we got him, boys, we got him. And, uh, um, can you get me one of the teeth? I want one of the teeth from the Megalodon, you know, to put on my uh, wall. Oh, hasn't got any teeth. What do you mean? It's a whale. <laughs> yeah, so obviously he gets eaten by, by the Meg, uh, as as he should. He's the guy, you know, from Aliens who wants to bring it back alive. He's that guy. He's the character. The, the, the shit-eating capitalist billionaire. Yeah, back on back on the station. There's again more more of this uh, ham-fisted romantic subplot between Jason Statham and Su Yin. Really awkwardly, her her small daughter is encouraging this uh, relationship. Keeps raising her eyebrows uh, suggestively, <laughs> like Roger Moore, like a little Chinese Roger Moore, <laughs> saying that you know you should go you should go talk to my mom. I think she likes you, and just like the eyebrows going up, ludicrous. Um, so they all decide obviously they needed to hunt the Meg again because they find out Jack's been killed. One of the other real standout scenes from the film, and one of the most fun uh, scenes where I think they they get the tone right is the whole beach scene. This is straight out of Jaws, uh, straight out of Piranha 3D as well, probably more so in terms of the tone, but this is a massive beach. I want to say Thailand or Hong Kong, somewhere in Asia. It's one of the most populated, densely populated tourist beaches in the world. Mm. This is where the Meg is heading, yeah. of course. It smells tourists. They really work overtime in this scene to introduce many minor characters who are obviously going to be eaten. Um, including the dog <laughs> yeah there's a couple getting Pippin. married on a boat with Pippin a small dog yeah. swimming about there's a, a, a fat kid with a lollipop asking his <laughs> mum if he can go and swim and she goes alright then there's a couple of guys uh, zorbing across the beach oh yeah they really go to town like this 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 and you're like well all these people are dying but yeah. we just want you to know basically who they are so it's the, the vaguest characterizations fat kid horny teenagers zorbing uh, adrenaline seekers yeah small dog <laughs> typically they they typically they survive and the pippin did in this 
Uh, Pippin starts swimming off of the boat and he sees the Meg coming towards him, which is a cool juxtaposition. Tiny dog, massive shark. There was a cool shot. It was like a bird's eye view of uh, a woman paddleboarding and you could see the Meg going under her. Yeah. And it just looked quite cool seeing it like from above <laughs> and how big it was compared to her. Because before we'd seen it kind of underwater a lot. Yeah. You got real scale here. Yeah, you yeah. got some scale. And yeah, they're really high up where you just see a, a sea of like rubber rings and parasols. This is really cool. Yeah. I feel like the director visually was, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, there's actually a good um, red herring here when the um, the lads on the pontoon, they all stand up and go, <gasps> and they point, and you think they're pointing at the mag, and it's actually just some, some girls yeah. <laughs> with big boobs and small bikinis so and that, that was that was straight out of like Piranha 3D I thought yeah. that was good um, but yeah the Meg just goes ballistic yeah starts ripping through this beach people are falling off jetties climbing on jetties there's a great extended scene where we get a POV shot from inside the Zorbing uh, ball if anyone doesn't know what Zorbing is it's when a person goes inside a, a see-through inflatable ball massive one uh, he's he's frantically running like a hamster in this ball to get away and the shark's coming up and it just snaps it and it pops uh, the ball towards the screen and in 3D and with that noise everyone yeah. went Ooh! <laughs> it was, that was a cool little, little spot but what they do they drop a whale call into the sea um, a couple of miles offshore to, to draw it away from the beach again so literally everyone's getting massacred on this beach and then they drop this thing in <laughs> and the Meg just like does a 180 and goes straight yeah. back out to sea and then we get the climactic action scene of the film which is Jason Statham in his submersible versus a Meg in what he describes as man versus Meg <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing uh, they're in these uh, what they call gliders actually and Su Yin is in one as well so they're going to team up but it's it's mainly Jason Statham here and the scene also reminded me a lot of the end of Rambo 3 uh, if anyone remembers in that one, it's um, tank versus helicopter at the end of that film. <laughs> and I, I, I felt small submarine versus prehistoric shark, similar feel of, of Rambo. How how manly can we get here? You know, a cockney with a knife in a submarine swearing at a massive shark. I guess Su Yin was getting hot for this because, you know... It's, it's what we've been leading to here. Um, there's an extended chase where the shark is chasing him through kind of coral and, and, and rock formations in and out. It's quite cool. It felt like it could be kind of out of space, you know, dogfight, barrel roll, stuff like that. Mm. And eventually he, he manages to um, latch on to the side of the Meg and in maybe the most ridiculous part of the film, the Meg jumps out of the water maybe about... 50 foot or so out of the water up towards again a bird's eye camera and as it gets close to the camera Jason Statham plunges a harpoon into its eyeball I feel like that will be memed or it's memorable that, yeah. that imagery ludicrous but memorable <laughs> this is Jason Statham riding a flying prehistoric shark <laughs> into the air spearing its eyeball and spearing its eyeball as you'd, as you'd expect so they all end up obviously on the boat and uh, Jason Statham says, you know, I, I need a vacation. And then the little girl's like, oh, my mum probably uh, wants a vacation too. Uh, wink, wink. And uh, basically Jason Statham's going to be like her new daddy. And was that like a Terminator 2 reference when he said, I need a vacation? I think it was just action movie reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure Schwarzenegger has said it. Jean-Claude Van Damme said that maybe in Street Fighter. I need a vacation. <laughs> so there it was. The Meg. 
in all its uh, in all its dumb uh, glory there. What were your overall impressions of the Meg, having seen it also on a cinema in 3D? Yeah, I think seeing it on the big screen 3D really helped. Really, uh, the, the effects really came to life, especially in 3D. The shark looked bigger because it was on a big screen. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's vital, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really cool. I think the CGI was really good. The plot was really thin, but that's exactly what I was expecting. And there were some good lines, there were some funny lines... I thought it was it was dumb fun, yeah, brainless fun, it, it, almost exactly as I was expecting as well. Like I said, when Jason Statham signed on, that puts out a real clear signal to everybody about what this film's going to be, and it, yeah. it, it was what I thought it was going to be. Sometimes a little too dumb, sometimes not fun enough. You know, yeah. there was, there was downtime, there was repetitiveness. Like I said, that whole reset thing halfway through really annoyed me. It just felt really pointless. We've killed the Meg, and there's another Meg. Why I have an idea? It just felt like they like they'd run out of ideas. Forty minutes in, that can't, <laughs> that can't be the case, can it? Right. Um, maybe it was. So it's certainly um, you know, style over substance. I thought a visually amazing film, and people should see it uh, on the big screen. I, I probably wouldn't have any any inclination to watch it again in my house. No, really, uh, not gonna have the same effect at all. No, I think once was enough, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was bad enough to be good, really. Uh, as I was hoping it would be at some points it was just by the numbers generic shark movie generic action movie I thought it, it kind of wasn't cheesy enough to be in that category although it was but like not quite enough to be high up in that category of cheese yeah. but also wasn't a genuinely good enough action film to be genuinely good you know it sort of sat in yeah. between like it, it did a bit of cheese and a bit of good action but it didn't I think they all one way or the other. I think they thought that, that they were just making a fun movie. Yeah, that was what they. Were, that, yeah. that was the marketing. Like the posters were, uh, the logos bright green, and there were you know people on the beach, people surfing. So they 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 didn't want to make themselves look like they were going to be Jaws or anything like that. This is going for exactly the same tone as Deep Blue Sea. Maybe it wasn't as in touch with its own cheesiness as much. Like you said, we're we're not being a bad movie or a crap movie. We're being a fun movie. Mm. Well, that sometimes means the same thing. You yeah, know, call, call it what you want. Uh, you either go for dumb and and big and flashy or, or you know, a, a proper sharp film like Jaws. But uh, yeah, I did like it. I did enjoy it on the big screen. But I mean, it's so um, no pun intended. It's so shallow um, <laughs> that I don't think it would stand up to a rewatch. I felt. And, you know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, films more and more now are tending to deliberately set their films in China and cast quite big Chinese stars in order to cash in on the Chinese market, which yeah. is becoming a huge uh, market now for box office. Films like Pacific Rim, notably, made all their money in China. I think they were probably doing that with this one, and it seems like they've made most of their revenue from from China and overseas made a lot more than they have done in, in America and in, in Europe I think so yeah. I think we'll undoubtedly get a Meg 2 biggest shark movie of the year undoubtedly one of the biggest movies overall and one of the biggest um, shit movies of the year as well if you had to travel back in time in some sort of tornado and um, stop one of these films from being made <laughs> would you choose to save the Meg or The Last Sharknado? Yeah, both, I really enjoyed both films, but I think I'd probably choose to save Sharknado. Part of a series that's become iconic in certain nerdy circles. Yeah. End of the, the 
series. So it, it's essential. The film needed to exist. They needed to tie yeah. it. A, be- a um, bad film than The Meg? Obviously, they were trying to make it Yeah, bad, so it's, it's hard to say. It's but. badder in a better way. But did you enjoy it more? I think so, yeah. I laughed more, I think. Very, very schlocky. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the last Sharknado, I've, I've seen them all, and uh, yeah, Sharknado 6 was, was one of the best of all six of them. Uh, the Meg was good. It's the beginning, probably, of a whole new franchise that can take over from Sharknado, I'm sure. But uh, just like you, I, I enjoyed Sharknado a lot more, and I laughed uh, was meant to when they wanted me to, and I think a lot of the times I was laughing at the Meg, uh, I was laughing at it because it was misjudged or inept or, yeah. you know, I didn't laugh at any of the deliberate jokes in the Meg <laughs> because they were not funny at all yeah I'm excited about this new franchise and where it can go uh, and it's obviously a much bigger shark which is exciting uh, you know a kaiju if you like but um, yeah I would say uh, Sharknado the better bad shark movie here if you enjoyed either of these films then pretty easy these recommendations aren't they of course Jaws if you haven't seen Jaws from 1974 I don't know where, where you've been living um, I am, I, I'm, the most essential shark uh, film of all time if you're going to watch any shark film or even any film uh, so if you want daft shark films then you want to be watching Deep Blue Sea and uh, Jaws the Revenge starring Michael Caine in terms of um, Sharknado you've got five others there those are the only five other films that have tornadoes made of sharks there's, there's countless sci-fi drivel that doesn't nail it like Sharknado does I don't think I would recommend any time travel films based on Sharknado 6. <laughs> but, yeah, obviously, this, they're all out there. Back to the Future, we mentioned. Yeah, Bill and Ted, they're all out there as well. But, yeah, mainly I would recommend Deep Blue Sea if you enjoyed the Meg or Sharknado because that's a super cheesy, tongue-in-cheek uh, killer shark film as well. So if you have uh, enjoyed uh, today's episode, please do uh, subscribe uh, to the podcast. We do release uh, two new episodes a month, and if you're subscribed, you'll be the first to hear about them. And you can also go back and uh, check out previous episodes that we've done. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, let us know what you thought of these films. Uh, ask us any questions about any bad movies or even suggest uh, future bad movies for us. Uh, to review, you can get in touch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Schlock Tactics. If you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes, that would be brilliant as well. We are a five-star rated, and uh, if you can help us keep that going, that'd be great. But that has been uh, another episode of Shark Tactics. <laughs> uh, we'll be back to Schlock Tactics again next time, uh, but we hope you have enjoyed uh, these giant shark movies. My name has been Ash, and I've been joined once again by Mark. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.